you know, I, I don't come on. I'm, I'm not a creep. I don't creep out women. I'm starting my own group, the uh, Rose Bay Community and Barefoot Picks. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Community Notice Board Podcast, a podcast about suburbs we grew up in, local landmarks, hometown heroes, and coming-of-age tales. We've got a very funny guest today, writer, podcaster, and comedian, Alice Fraser is here. How are you, Alice? Hello, I'm very well. How are you? Hey, good, mm. thank you. And you're here today to talk about all things Rose Bay, and I believe you talked quite a bit about it on your 2018 show, The Resistance. Yes, available free as a podcast if you're interested in it or if you want to pay money as a stand-up special that's filmed. I never understand people who want to watch filmed stand-up specials. I prefer to just listen to them. Yeah, um, unless you've got a lot, unless you have a lot of visuals and stuff yeah. like that. It's well, mostly the same fucking thing, right? Yeah, I feel like comedy is brought to you by the third dimension when you're present in the room with them. Yes. Two-dimensional, it just never feels quite right. True, true. So that's on. So you've got the stand-up special. So the, when was that? Twenty eighteen, and that was the and it was about growing up and and in 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 Rose Bay. In Rose Bay. So yeah. I grew up in this big falling down house that had used to be a boarding house. It was my grandmother's house, and she had a soft spot for a sob story. So um, all of the flats were taken up by people who uh, had these kind of eccentricities and oddnesses and probably weren't paying rent or paid in kind these kind of my grandmother was a holocaust survivor and so there were all these various refugees or nut jobs or yeah (laughs) so my 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 childhood was very eventful because they were all off on their own healing quests or vision quests and and variously those would manifest themselves around me in my childhood as one time when um the SWAT team was called because the man upstairs who had agoraphobia uh, after Vietnam had invited a young lady in for a cup of tea and then wouldn't let her out. Oh, um, Jesus. And <laughs> there, uh, one time an old lady jumped off the balcony onto her son and um, broke <laughs> her arm and his leg um, because uh. he tried to defraud her of her... Um, small market garden oh okay oh, i was gonna say God. that that is on purpose then it wasn't just <laughs> yes. the world's unluckiest coincidence <laughs> but she's like i'm no, going just over people's this. elbow from yeah. the top row. <laughs> she had great she aim was, uh, yeah she was very angry she she was illiterate um and he had tricked her into signing a document and, oh wow uh, all right and you're just what you're sitting in the yard like playing with toys while all this madness is happening around you yeah, and of course, as a child, you don't realise that it's madness. You just think this is what life is, right? All these eccentric characters. And then you, you get older and you think, wow, I grew up around a lot of weirdos. And then you get a little older and you realise they all have their own um, backstories and, and reasons and um, the world becomes a much more interesting place. Yeah. yeah. And so- Rose Bay itself as a suburb is physically, I mean, beautiful, right? So there's a great juxtaposition of this awesome landscape and you know and then just this crumbling house and (laughs) all these weirdos it's just it rules yes so it was already starting to sort of be very gentrified when i grew up in it but my grandfather had bought the property he died when my dad was very young but he had brought the property under the shadow of the japanese mini sub bombings Mm. so nobody wanted waterfront property in rose bay at that time so he bought this place that you know overlooked the harbor it was big piece of land and you know then he died and my grandmother who was a hopeless you know she didn't fix it up she didn't manage it very well she was a terrible landlady in every way so she just let it sort of fall to pieces and let all these people live in it so I we had this odd bubble of kind of very integrated community in the midst of what was rapidly becoming a wealthy suburb Mm. um, full of fancy wankers (laughs) (laughs) so how big are we talking with this house how many people would be in it at any one time um so we we, uh, oh 18 or 20 probably oh wow in different flats i think there was four or five separate flats upstairs and likewise downstairs and were they all like eccentrics or was it just like one yes. guy who worked at the bank who was just like man i've got some weird roommates <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, think, I think midnight oil lived there at one point oh, uh, wow. that was before our time 
Far out. Wow. That's Apparently they yeah. paid their rent on time. <laughs> yeah, as the song yeah. goes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's crazy because we, we did a app recently with um, Ben Lee from Bondi and he said that, yeah, it was the same in terms of his parents bought in Bondi because it was so cheap because no one wanted to live there because everyone thought it was going to get shelled by the Japanese. And I think the Japanese, they shelled a few, like, from a little mini sub, like literally one man in a sub, to Ro- I think a couple landed in Rose Bay, a couple in Bondi, and then a couple in Newcastle. And they, then that was it. That's all they ever, and apparently they did it just to unsettle Australia a little bit. They were never planning to do any damage. It was just like, go there and cause a bit of chaos. And then that just changed property values for yeah. the, all those areas. So imagine Man, those I, wish, I wish they'd do that now, you know, just to lower the price. Yeah. <laughs> North the guy who sold your grandma the house just been like, oh, this silly old lady's got a real dump here on the water. But, you know, like I've really swindled her. You know, this well, there's, over- that, uh, there's that Jewish saying, the Hungarian Jewish saying in Rose Bay of God is always making more people, but he is not making any more waterfront property. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very specific saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, the Hungarian waterfront property market. Uh, so, but that that's, yeah, that's crazy. So there was like 20 sort of people there. And were you like, was your family, did they encourage you to talk to these people or were you sort of sheltered away from it and sort of, or you, you know? Oh, absolutely not sheltered. So um, my my father worked full time and my mum had MS. So um she, my twin brother and I were basically left to run wild in our childhood in this big garden and and really be looked after by everyone. It was very much being raised by a community. Um, There was Luis the gardener who was a Chilean and he had missing fingers because he'd been a a rebel, a revolutionary during the peasant revolt. He would feed us carrots out of the garden if mum didn't have any energy to make dinner and we, yeah, we very much kind of scavenged off the goodwill of all of these nice people. And I think to a certain extent, we gave them something too in that way that children, um, particularly very small children, are a nice thing to do to people. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> do you remember a moment when you realised, like, were you at school going, you know, oh, you know, Lewis, a Chilean gardener for the revolutionary guy, he gave me a carrot and your teacher's looking at you like, what are you talking? Like, was there a moment where you realised that what your life was, was, you know, a, I, a little I bit I don't remember that moment, but I do, there's a, you know, there's a kind of a family story about, there was Petey who lived upstairs in one of the, he was an artist, um, and dad tells a story about me asking a friend who their Petey was. You know, <laughs> who's your yeah. guy who does painting upstairs? Um <laughs> So I think, yeah, you, you it slowly dawns on you that other people don't have that. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, like, that first time in elementary school where you're trying to make friends and you're like, surely, I mean, everyone has a gardener with seven and a half fingers, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. all tortured in various revolutions throughout the world at some point. Well, my, my, my I, I think my whole life has been marked by being sort of somewhere in between in in and out so i went to primary school i had a twin brother which is already a different Mm. thing and being a buddhist in sydney in the 80s yeah less yeah and all of those things where you're just slightly different slightly outside of the norm Uh, even just being in very fancy rose bay in the falling down house but it was a big house but it was so Mm. you know obviously i've ended up in in an industry in a career where a lot of my job is explaining things to people Mm. um (laughs) and i think that probably was one of many things that as a child was a bit weird about me well that brings up a question because you mentioned obviously that the house was kind of juxtaposed with how rapidly gentrifying the area was was the house known like among people when you were growing up were people like that's the house where all the people live and it's the big crumbling house you can't miss it yes i think so yes it was a it was set quite set back quite far in in a big block of land and at that point people had just started that thing of building houses that took up the whole property mm. blocks of trying to capitalize on on space so it was i think you know it's also a very kind of haphazard looking house 
falling mm. apart faux Tudor sort of marble staircases, but half <clears> of the <throat> stairs were broken and so like a winding rusty staircase going up the side and it was and of course Luis the gardener would do landscaping so the garden was always changing or the features of the garden were always changing there'd be a little hill there one day and a little fountain the other day he is manic depressive and he had these episodes where he'd do big plantings or big choppings down mm. um so I think for people in the neighborhood seeing that place would have been fun and exciting <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like if we had somebody else on to do Rose Bay and we'd ask like oh do you have any like eccentric characters in the neighborhood that all be like well there was this big fucking house that was <laughs> where yeah. we kept them all yeah. it was also constantly under surveillance from uh, ASIO and various yeah. other things oh my god from an anti-communist sort of sort of bent look I don't know my dad was a philosophy lecturer at Sydney University yeah. <laughs> been to Burma for, for Buddhism my grandmother was, you know, had been in the resistance. There were various other people who had been in various resistances around the world. I, it could have been any number of things. <laughs> yeah. just got this, oh, let's just sit someone at the front. I don't know what's going wrong. Just a couple of men in suits sitting yeah. on our front fence watching us play around naked. Yeah. Not acceptable in the world, but in the 80s, that was fine. Damn. Yeah, that would have been some... Was there any feuds? But I mean, because I imagine there's a lot of different people coming through. Was anybody... Yes, you know, absolutely. This. My grandmother fucking loved drama. <laughs> uh, I think so this is of... just her version of the, a proto Big Brother house, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've seriously th th thought about writing um, a lot of the stuff that happened in my childhood up as almost like a police procedural, <laughs> uh, in that my grandmother was very much like Sherlock Holmes. She behaved in ways that seemed inexplicable to everyone but would sort of solve stuff. <laughs> so she was always, you know, like if there was interpersonal drama, she'd invite them over to dinner and there'd be screaming matches over her dinner table and, and then it would sort of come out all right. And She'd see Louise next to one of, you know, Pinochet's old, you know, what soldiers or something. You go, why don't you two get along, you know? And then she'd, they'd kill each other and she'd solve the crime, right? So she's... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was more like um oh there was this couple the Coopers who were both alcoholics and she glassed his eye out at some point. Oh, uh, and they ended up back together. And so they kind of would come over to Granny's for dinner so that they didn't kill each other. Uh, wow. that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she was just like having a word in in the ear of that lady like, you know, you should probably jump off that third floor balcony right on top of your son. <laughs> So she had like some sort of chaotic energy, but also kept the, kept things together as well in some way. She loved drama, but she was she had her priorities straight. I think is is what, the way that I think about it. She would yeah. say outrageous things. She would make life very difficult for the people she loved by <laughs> never conforming, never agreeing to anything, never doing something because it was the done thing. Uh, never making anything easy, always lying on every piece of official documentation, you know, <laughs> picking up stray dogs, interfering in street fights, taking people's babies if she thought they weren't looking after them properly and, like, saying, I'm not giving them back until you stop. You know, just, oh like, drama. But she was also <laughs> infinitely kind and infinitely generous. You know, I remember many times when I was little, her pulling over in King's Cross and asking a sex worker to get into the car and bringing her home for lasagna. Like, just, she just had so much time for everyone and she was so, she was this combination of, um, like, saying, don't trust the Greeks, but also incredibly non-judgmental of individuals. <laughs> like, she'd just say whatever came into her head, but the way that she be behaved towards other people was, you know, giving them places to live and yeah. feeding them and looking after their children when they were sick or mad or, you know, just taking people in with incredible patience in a way that I think people don't nowadays, particularly people who are very different to us. We don't. We'd rather give money to a charity than yeah. let mm. people into our houses. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially in Rose Bay these days, there's probably not too many people like that knocking around, you know. <laughs> no, unfortunately, that, that generation is all dying out and it's a sad thing. And so when do you move out or at what time was it? Was gentrification really 
going on when you sort of left the area, I guess, or? Yes. So they, the, the family sold it all together um, when I was about 12 or 13. And then obviously I moved just into a family home with my family, um, which was, you know, it's a different a thing to adjust to. And at that time, it became more apparent how sick mum was. Um, yeah. because we were a little bit older. She had a bad attack when we were about 10 and we had to, to start taking responsibility and looking after her. So in many ways, we had this really ideal situation where, A, she was a very good mum to us when we were little and the bits where she couldn't look after us, we were looked after by this larger community of people mm. who just you know, kind of benignly neglected us or threw some biscuits out the window or whatever it was. <laughs> And then by the time we were old enough to take responsibility, we were in a you know, more traditional kind of family unit and yeah. we could look after mum in that context. Yeah. And that, so, so that would have been a real change, I guess. And that, so you would have been like pre and post Rose Bay life, really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And when you move out of that house, does your grandma come with you or is she like, I'm going to establish another fucking cool house? <laughs> <laughs> she, she, at that time, she was getting probably a little bit too old to do such a huge thing, but she, she moved into her own home then and had a few people. She always had a few people living with her or in the, you know, in the spare room or whatever. But yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't running a menagerie anymore in the same way. Just a and b sort of downsizing yeah. to Airbnb or something like that. She would have loved that, yeah. Sounds like, sounds like she would have loved Twitter as well at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, she, was, she, she had a mobile phone towards the end of her life, but she treated it like, uh, you know, those old phones in black and white movies where you put it to your ear and then you put it to your mouth? <laughs> yeah, the two-piece thing, yeah. <laughs> That's how she treated her mobile phone. She wasn't really au fait with the whole idea that it worked on both ends at the same time. Uh, wow. So when you're when you're in this large house with your grandma, and I mentioned it before, but like obviously you're not living the exact same life as everyone else. Are you kind of uh, keeping like is this big house kind of your base, or are you venturing out and doing other stuff? Or are you mostly like how exploratory are you of Rose Bay in general or are you just sticking around this big house because you've kind of got everything you need there with characters and stuff uh, so you know we, we, we would go out and about we had these really archaic uh, children sized bikes um, that granny had bought for dad and his brothers and sisters in the 60s uh, so a rusty old three quarter size Graziella bike and for some reason, a child-sized penny farthing. Um, <laughs> and so we were the weirdest little bike gang. <laughs> Dad, Dad, can we just have fucking a half an hour of not being looked at as the weird people from this? Um, so we, we would ride down um, and uh, sneak onto the golf course at night uh, with a couple of other neighbourhood kids and run a bit wild there. And, of course, eventually we were discovered, but my granny... Uh, didn't tell anyone else because she was the one who discovered us. She thought it was a good thing that we were there on the golf course at night. A, she was a rebel spirit, and B, because they hadn't let Jews in until, I think, the 80s. <laughs> so <laughs> oh as a Jew, she quite liked the idea of us going and... Um, Playing the back nine. Doing, running, doing, running around on the grass. Doing uh, donuts on the green and a penny farthing. I imagine yeah. that's a burnout tracks look a little strange. Yeah, oh, we, one of the things that we did was we would... Um, we would light little torches and go into the stormwater drains around Rose Bay. Wow. Um, so the stormwater drains w went up from the harbour up under the, uh, all the way up to the main road and past uh, beyond. We never, we never came to a point where there was like a grating or a, a mm, wall, yeah, wall wow. or anything. It was a, a matter of kind of courage of going into these big empty <laughs> pipes. Um, and oh, yeah. uh, exploring them and some of them went in under the golf course and uh, that was fun too. Jeez. I, yeah. did, I did find a bit of history about Rose Bay uh, itself, the bay itself, which is it's uh, maybe a, it's like a good pub trivia question. It's actually the location of Sydney's first international airport um, in a way. Well, it, because back before obviously jet, jet liners and stuff like that, uh, there were seaplanes and that was all that anyone ever travelled by air, really. And so 
it's this guy, this um, Maurice Gillo is some French guy. He's flying around an aeroplane, like one of those like Wright Brothers looking things made of paper mache. And he's <laughs> flying from Melbourne to Sydney and stopping every 40 minutes, you know, like this, <laughs> and makes a big deal. But he sort of crash or emergency lands in Rose Bay. And, um, and then sort of people realise it's not a bad spot to sort of land uh, these seaplanes. So Qantas sets up a terminal there and they start doing international trips. And it was uh, in, uh, I think it was just the early 20s, then Qantas does the first ever Sydney to UK flight from Rose Bay, takes off from Rose Bay. And uh, so, I, I mean, you guys have, I mean, Alice, you were saying before, you spent some time in the UK. I don't know what your travel there is like but this was a let me count this up so there was a nine it was a nine day flight um, <laughs> so it was uh yeah. three how many days. tins of beers david boone sinking yeah. on a nine day flight <laughs> oh, yeah, so sydney to, there was two sort of main parts of it the sydney to singapore leg uh which was three stops uh so because it the, these these planes only had a speed of like 280 kilometers an hour and a range of like a thousand so they had to just stop so the sydney to singapore would stopped at townsville darwin indonesia singapore and then every night you every time it would stop you would land in at the port that you know whatever the uh wherever they had where you landed and then you would go into the city and you would stay in a hotel you wouldn't sleep in this stupid little plane right (laughs) so it was sort of like a cruise much more civilized way of of running things (laughs) that's right exactly so it actually sounds pretty luxurious um so you'd land you would stay at this hotel you'd go back out jump on scoot away and then the next from singapore i don't have the exact legs but it took six more days from singapore to london stopping everywhere uh so the the cost of that one way um, was about the average annual wage, so roughly like seventy thousand um, dollars. Equivalent, yeah. equivalent of equivalent money is if it was be today. So that would be the one way cost um, just for the flights. Uh, so that was what people did. So there was like four or five flights. They'd go to Auckland and everything, and that was from Rose Bay. Um, and then World War Two starts happening. And they start investing a lot in planes, you know, they're getting bigger flying boats and then they're like, oh, we're gonna just, this is gonna be the biggest industry, right? Everyone's gonna be traveling overseas. So everyone in Rose Bay starts thinking, we're gonna have hotels at Rose Bay, we're gonna have all this stuff. We're so excited, you know? Silver lining to this big war. Um, But also during the war, everyone starts building land airstrips, obviously for all the planes. And then by, by the time the war's over and then the jetliner comes out, and they're like, we don't need to land in the fucking water anymore. We've got this, you know, airport over here. So then it just sort of crumbles. So, yeah, that was a huge part of the history from like the 30s until the 50s. It was if you wanted to travel from Sydney internationally, you, you took off uh, just, just <laughs> Rose, Rose Bay. Yeah. Yep. There was a tram that ran up the hill as well. And uh, now that's sort of where Line Park is and uh, Catalina and the Rose Bay mm. Ferry stop. There used to be also a Chinese restaurant there. Um, until the late 90s, I think, of one of those floating Chinese restaurants. I don't know if that's part of your landscape ever. But, (laughs) uh, yeah, so they they had this massive um, seaplane terminal, uh, which is – they still have a seaplane terminal there. Yeah. It's mainly for sort of uh, overpriced honeymoon flights Mm. up to, (laughs) you know, up the coast a bit. but yeah. yeah, you can go there, you can sit in the cafe, you can watch the seaplanes take off. It's an incredible thing to, to witness, particularly if you're on the harbour. Obviously, I spent a lot of time on the harbour as a kid in various, um, variously seaworthy or unseaworthy vessels. <laughs> <laughs> and watching a seaplane come into land is one of those things that never gets old. Yeah. You know, there's some things mm. that never get old. Like mm. for me, fairy lights in a tree yeah and whales seeing whales go past and then watching a seaplane land those are up there in terms of things that will always just be mind-boggling to me yeah, yeah. That's so amazing. funny that just the idea that you, like you were saying our people in rose bay were getting so excited that you know we're going to get hotels and stuff here and now like someone wants to put an extra level on their house and people revolt and you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. complain yeah. to the council yeah no it would have been a totally different landscape altogether I mean, but imagine having 
you know, Kingsford Smith Airport there in Rose Bay, it'd be a bit oh. of, you know, massive jetliners <laughs> landing right there. I think there's probably a better way that it's turned out. Yeah, that, that guy, yeah, it's crazy, yeah. Uh, Maurice Guillaume, that I looked into him a little because I found him really interesting because he was the person who piloted the first seaplane in Rose Bay. And then he also did the first uh, airmail Sydney to Melbourne flight. Mm. And, like, this is in uh, 1914. And so, like, aviators were, like, movie stars so in france this guy is fucking huge like people Mm. are stopping him for his autograph and stuff and he's like hell yeah i'm the guy and then like uh like with fame today it's very fickle so uh (laughs) you know he was once like the guy because he he broke some like land speed records but then like a year later uh someone comes along and gets in their plane and does a loop the loop and all of a sudden, Dio is yesterday's news. Man. And he's, he, gets really, but he, gets, he gets really pissed about it. And so he decides to buy his own loop-the-loop plane and then becomes the first person to do it directly over Paris and to really rub salt in the wounds. He does it 15 times in a row. So he's just like, someone's going to be more famous than me? No, they're not. <laughs> this is the problem with big egos, right? They're yeah. like blown glass. The bigger ego gets, the more fragile it becomes. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, he'd be he'd be so annoyed at his kind of footnoty position in history today because like this happened like just when he thought like, all right, this is it. We're going to go to the next level. Is that like World War One happens, and then everyone's kind of focusing on that instead of him. And he's like, look, I can do live the lives. And he's like, people are dying, Maurice. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, fuck. And then he, uh, unfortunately, he died in a plane crash uh, just before the end of World War One. He's going for that 16th loop. Yeah, He's probably trying to do 30 loop the loops in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least he died doing what he loved. <laughs> <laughs> Proving someone wrong. <laughs> All right, I guess. Yeah. Um, wow. I, I found, um, just speaking of, you know, the floating Chinese restaurant down at the harbour, I was looking at sort of around that area to um, local food establishments and pubs and stuff because we often like to find uh, reviews of local businesses down there. And the only ones I could really find were a couple of just odd ones from... Um, I think, is it Char Grill Charlie's or something? That famous yeah. chicken shop? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Which is everywhere in the eastern suburbs. Everybody knows about it. Um, and I found two. The first one just kills me because he's one-starred this poor restaurant, but uh, for reasons that have nothing to do with it. So Simon's one-star. He's, uh, when I parked next door at the Crystal Car Wash... Uh, because they were closed, a South African individual working there decided to come out and very rudely tell me to move my car. I got out of the car because I couldn't hear him and he came right up to me, ready to hit me. Absolutely disgusting behavior. <laughs> One star for the business next door. <laughs> oh, man. Talk about the chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of good chicken places, Charlie's and the Pluma Road Chicken Shop as well. Uh, so I was near... Um, I don't know if you have a map of Rose Bay in front of you right now, but I was on New South Head Road near the corner of O'Sullivan Road. We were the second house along, and we used to go down to the Pluma Road shops, and there was a French patisserie, there was a sweets shop, and there was this chicken shop, and that was where everything went down, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's where the action cool happens, place. I imagine, yeah. Well, this this second one, this guy, he does review the food, but it's... I mean, it's a short review, but this could turn into some sort of Odyssey-like story. Uh, David, one star, uh, walked in for a feed, got me pad thai and asked for a fork since I'll be eating it at the wharf. I got to the wharf and never got me fork, so I had to walk home to Blacktown. And by the time I got home, the food was boiling for a hot day in the sun and the plastic melted into my food. I ate it anyway because I didn't have anything else to eat. A few days later, I got very sick from the poison in the plastic. Horrible service. <laughs> is he walking to Blacktown from there? That's, that's, gonna, that? that's why he's dead. He's got heat stroke. <laughs> that's Lord. 47 kilometers. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if he was poisoned by the plastic or by his own bad judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah or by like a bad type of acid or something. I don't, I don't think that guy walked too far. I would have thought I mean, that... Also, at that point, you just... Eat it with your fingers, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or go back and ask for a fork. <laughs> it's not my that beard hard. Wharf's, for my... The wharf's not that far, you know. <laughs> no, it's not. It's five, five minutes walk max. How burger. many supermarkets would you pass on forty kilometers? Just being like, oh, that Coles isn't going to have a f- bloody fork. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and again, you know, some people prefer not to spend money, but if you've just bought a pad thai from Charcoal Charlie's, then 
there's already like there's already a premium. I think he might have misidentified which chicken shop he went to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I like I imagine that a Charg or Charlie's and stuff like that would just that would be people would hate that in Rose Bay now. I, in my mind, I don't know how else have you been back, but Rose Bay is like just peak white rich snobs. I don't know if it is. But it seems like a charcoal char. It's weird that it even exists there now. Well, it still has this remnant of the old immigrant community in it. But yes, it's slowly being taken over by uh, rich white snobs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, still back some... in the day, it used to have this real kind of yeah proper community feel of the of the immigrant communities and the refugees from after the war, the Hungarian Jews and the South African Jews and various other small. Um, small communities who looked after each other and it is sad to go there now and see that kind of being um taken away mm, but, yeah. um yeah they brought so much to sydney and to the eastern suburbs particularly in sydney when my granny always used to talk about when she arrived there was nowhere you could get salami there was nowhere you could get uh, garlic it was all white bread and devon sandwiches and you know these people you know particularly the jews who ended up in australia ended up in australia because they wanted to get as far away as possible mm. from europe and from yeah. civilization yeah to what they from what in their minds was civilization and um, and so there's a very particular kind of insularity in the eastern suburbs jewish community of looking after each other and because they come from that these were the people who were very traumatized these are the people who wanted to go to the end of the earth you know, yeah. when it was three weeks by boat to get here, mm, mm. and and you know, either they had no families left or they were leaving their families behind, you know, in in the in the fifties and and sixties. So they they built something I think quite special, and it is sad to see that go. Mm. It's it's got a bit of history just in from the other theatre of World War Two, which is also that the a lot of the um, Australian soldiers who were interned in Japanese camps, like came back and got off the boat in Rose Bay. And a lot of the people were there to welcome them home. And when they came off just like absolute bone thin and and, so, and people didn't actually understand what had gone on, like I guess. And so it was actually the first time a lot of Australians <coughs> saw so the horrors of war in a way. So it was quite historical in, 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 from the other side of that as well. So yeah, that I did notice that, and that Catalina's I think you mentioned that before. It's a um, apparently that was like the welcoming committee for all these, you know, heroes who was survived, you know, and they just thought they would come back and be like, "Yes, we survived," but they were just basically nearly on on death's door. They, they were so starved. They were so starved, and yeah, there was this mix of of kind of coming to terms with the horrors of the war and mm. then dealing with the, you know, or coming into this post-war boom culture where yeah. you know there was there was nightclubs and dancing and you mm. know back when dancing was two people dancing together <laughs> yeah. uh, and nightclubs had an orchestra but you know certainly my my grandmother came out um on slightly dodgy papers uh after the war when she realized her family wasn't going to come back and she had no family left and she came out and worked in a shoe factory and met my grandfather who was uh he'd come out he was slightly he was about 15 years older he had been part of the um the pre-united nations um league, league of nations league of nations sorry my brain is very pregnant um <laughs> it, it was, he was he was a lawyer and then he came out and, and started doing imports and exports and stuff and oh. managed to afford enough money to buy this property and married my grandmother met her down at uh, double bay redleaf pool oh, and um they got married and they had this kind of like five years of really idyllic life where they would go dancing and they would sit on the deck and you know watch the boats go past and drink champagne and eat melons and you know, just have this mm. really beautiful life um and then when my dad was five and his younger siblings were, I think, three and one, respectively, uh, Dolek, my grandfather, died in a horse riding accident mm. and my grandmother was alone again. So she had this very brief window of, like, glamour wow. and being looked after yeah. um, between some 
very, very difficult and traumatic experiences. So I always like to think of that, you know, and they used to go down to the Catalina and dance um, at night. So I always think of the Catalina as this very kind of golden place because of the stories that my grandmother would tell about uh, dancing there with my grandfather and him beating the shit out of people in the car park. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, I, did find, I did find a story, um, weirdly enough, that involves horse, horse racing, really, and um, also rich white snobs, so it kind of ties, ties together. <laughs> it's normal. It goes I was hand just, in hand. But yeah. <laughs> I was looking for, like, notable uh, residents and that kind of thing, and I found um, that... If not lived there, at least was educated there, it was um, Gay Waterhouse, the famous horse trainer. Yeah, she was educated at the Convent of the Sacred Heart, which I'm not sure if you're familiar it's a with. very it. beautiful school. Yeah, you, you go up New South Head Road, up what they call the S's, up Heartbreak Hill, and it's an incredibly beautiful building overlooking the harbour. You go past right. it, and it's very uh, you know, gorgeous sandstone edifice. Uh, well, she um, she married the son of a. I think he was also a, a horse, um, like a horse trainer, a Robbie Waterhouse. And I sort of was just poking around, just looking for any old story. And I found this one, which I don't know if any of you have heard of the um, the fine cotton scandal from no. the from the eighties. Rings a bell. Is that is that a horse? The name yeah. is the horse is a fine so cotton. So basically, yeah. like fine cotton was a um, Robbie Waterhouse. He was he was a bookie and fine cotton was this just this very average horse would race in the low you know the very lower leagues where basically you you could only race in it if you'd won like less than a certain amount of races so it's just the bottom of the bottom and um this little syndicate got together um and basically came up with this scheme to 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 sort of do the old like switcheroo with a with a better horse so they like (laughs) register it for the race um, it was it was a race in I think uh, Eagle Farm in Brisbane, and so like the last race before this one, uh, Fine Cotton had like started at twenty to one odds, finished tenth of twelve. It just had like a rubbish record, and uh, this syndicate was headed up by this guy who used to sell buy and sell race horses, who purchased a second horse called Dashing uh, Dashing Solitaire, right? So it looked identical to the horse, to our uh, Fine Cotton. Look at that, uh, four legs, got a head, got a yeah, tail. Yeah, you got know. a mane. <laughs> Same thing. Um, but then a few days out from this race, uh, Dashing Solitaire was injured and couldn't make it Couldn't make it for the race. And so this syndicate of just idiots um, put their heads together and they're like, we're all in too deep now. You know, we've put too much money in. We've come too far. We've got to get a second horse, right? So a few days they start like looking around. They get a bit desperate. And they eventually find this horse called Bold Personality, who is not only like, you know, Dashing Solitaire was better than Fine Cotton, but they were still pretty equal. Whereas this one was like an open grade horse. So it is racing in the top of the top. So it's not going to be a sneaky like this horse does slightly better than we thought. It's going to be like this horse is going to blow everyone out of the water, you know, like and but basically this like horse. Like a Japanese mini sub. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I was picturing like sneaking like a 17 year old Samoan mate into like an under 12s footy game you know, and just watching him run roughshod over everybody. But um, there's a little bit of trouble with, um, with this horse. So uh, bold personality um, as opposed to so fine cotton is like a dark brown horse with white markings on the back of its legs. And uh, bold personality is like a light reddish brown color with no markings whatsoever and so so this 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 brains trust uh you know threw their heads together oh, and they, they were like the what horse. can we do they bought a bunch of off the off the shelf hair dye oh my lord <laughs> and tried to tie the horse <laughs> and the article that i read this from it's uh this was it said they um used off the brand uh off the shelf hair dye um on the horse with and i quote limited success <laughs> so it's just patches of like dark you know just for men in this fucking redhead horse i said get just for horse what is it <laughs> <laughs> Um, and for the markings on the legs, they are resorted to crudely applied white paint. Oh my god! Right, so they've just this is just like a cartoon at this point. They've, they've got the horse in. Finally, it's race day. They've dyed it up. They've painted it, 
and um, the the fine cotton was basically it was in such poor form that it opened odds uh, it opened at thirty three to one and a, basically as soon as betting opened so much money came flying in from all these people who had been tipped off on the scam the odds dropped to four dollars fifty right so everybody's already sus like the book is like something is going on here and uh, whispers start going around about this uh, ring in that's called so the race starts the horse smokes the others. And um, already the stewards have started investigating. They go back to the stables with the horse and the paint has just started running down its legs. Like it's just, <laughs> he's sweating the paint like off. Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, the, and they're sweating the paint off and like the, the racing steward turns to the trainer and he's like, look, what's going on here? Can I see the registration forms for this horse? And he just fucking legs it. <laughs> Straight Gets out. on the horse, there you go. And basically, yeah, from that, it completely all falls apart. But Robbie Waterhouse was the bookie who was in on it. So him, he ended up serving eight months in Long Bay for like lying oh. to the racing tribunal. He was wow. banned for life, um, but that was lifted after 14 years. But yeah, just like, wow, what a cartoonish <laughs> like, fast. Because like, I think horse racing is a very edit, snobbish, like upper class. Like you don't think... You Not the races the people, I've been to. Yeah, yeah I, I guess so. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just my feeling of it. But you'd think... So, the, horse yeah. racing is one of those odd things where you have a, a mix of very wealthy people and very working class people. Yeah, mm. true, and, true. And in that way, it's sort of oddly egalitarian because mm. you have your kind of your jockeys and your stable men and, and then you, you also have the aristocrats who yeah. <laughs> ride horses or buy horses or own horses and then you also have, you know, all these like mafia people who are involved in the gambling side of things. It's an it's a really odd intersection of society. And yeah. as, as that story indicates, some shit can go really off the rails. Yeah. Because you have all these different interests with all these different kind of moral frameworks and differing social obligations and you know threats and lies and money and cheating and sneaking and the, the doctor who can dose your horse and <laughs> yeah, the stableman yeah, yeah. who knows this and the tips and the hints and the tricks and the gambling and it's all like it's pretty like a lot of chaotic racing stories yeah, yeah i guess a, like the melbourne cup birdcage and like you know flemington tab they're watching the same race right but there's a different yeah. group of people you know a very different yeah. set of humans there do you think at any point, Drew, that they were when they were trying to find the house, they thought of doing the old two people in the horse outfit trick? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it's a bad horse. We could probably do just as good. Yeah, there's some some scams where you're like, similarly, when something ends up on TV and you're like, oh my god, so many people had to greenlight this yeah. for Hey Hey it's Saturday to show blackface again yeah. you know, whatever it happens to be so many people have to say yes to this and you think that when you when you see a scam like that that's just so so beyond the point at which they should have pulled the plug yeah. you're like how many people were you know three steps back we're like yeah yeah keep it going yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they effectively did brown face on the horse <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh well i actually got uh, one more thing i want to talk about which is a bit of history about um the name and whoever who's named Rose Bay Rose is named after a guy called George Rose, who was a UK politician. Um, fairly uneventful, you know, UK. You know how they just gave dumb politicians suburbs in Australia. You know, it was just that guy's you know, whatever. But he was uh, so George Georgie Rose was a he was a Secretary of Treasury, a Paymaster General, Treasurer of the Navy. But he did have one huge moment in his career in 1907, and this is what quite. Uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, pertinent for right now. 1907, he was charged with, or not charged, he was given the obligation to set up, as part of the government, a new institution alongside a fellow called Edward Jenner, um, which was the National Vaccine Establishment, the first ever vaccine establishment in the world. So the first ever vaccine rollout ever from Jenner, because Ed, Edward Jenner was the guy who invented the first vaccine. He invented the smallpox vaccine. Um, so wow. the, the background of it is, is that Jenner was this guy, smallpox was killing like 20% of towns and cities. It just killed everyone. It was, you know, it killed, it's killed so easily, it spread easily. And they had this sort of method that they used at the time called, um, variolation, which was like, they would get similar to vaccination, but they get smallpox literally from this guy and give it to Cow you. Pox. But yeah, well, no, this is what Initially. this is. This is no, this is what Jenna did, right? So they actually gave you smallpox. So they would rub it into your arm, and they said if you got it through your arm, 
that was okay. But what Jenna realised was that people who, uh, milkmaids who worked with cows, uh, didn't get smallpox because they would get cowpox. Like you say, so that he, they, he realised, oh, so cowpox must be similar to smallpox and it must protect you from smallpox. So he, this is, and so this is what Jenna did to prove his theory, which I don't think would be FDA approved today. He just grabbed a local eight-year-old boy and just gave him cowpox, like rubbed it into his arm without just so now I gave this kid cowpox and the boy got a bit sick and then recovered. And then he said, okay, now that really tested, I need to give you smallpox. So he just got the same kid, gave him, rubbed it on his arm, like from the sores of the smallpox. And then the boy was okay. So then he went, all right, great. Now this is, he published a study and he said, uh, the treatment of smallpox via cowpox and cowpox, the Latin name for cowpox is vaccinia variola, which is the Latin name for a cow is vaccinia. So that's the only reason it's called vaccine is because it's the word for cow. So <laughs> there you go. Because so it's vash. Yeah, yes. So probably Man, exactly. we're lucky it's not sheep because you imagine how many anti-vaxxers would be like doing the fucking <laughs> smacks in their head. <laughs> well, this is the interesting thing. So this is where George Rose comes into it. So he was, he was uh, you know, basically they said this guy's he's found this thing and it's way better than the old method. Because when, when they used to just give you like... The old method was Lady Mary Wortley Montague who brought it back from Turkey uh, in 1700s. Yeah, and, and the... the um, the difference was that if you, it would give you a worse infection of smallpox, but you still had smallpox, so you'd give it to other people. Whereas this gave you cowpox, which would protect you against smallpox, but you wouldn't spread smallpox, right? So they were like, this is great. George Rose, your charge of setting this up. So George Rose created the National Vaccine Establishment. Um, it had a, eight members on the board, four from the College of Surgeons, four from the College of Physicians. Jenner was installed as director. But then he quit because he re he realised no one would none of the none of the directors of the board would listen to him because he wasn't a member of the College of Surgeons or the physicians. So the guy invented the thing. They were like, "Well, you're not actually that smart, so we're not going to listen to you." <laughs> so anyway, he he starts pushing, and one of UK's more I think better moments in history in the 19th century, they spread the vaccine around the world for free, giving it away basically, and that was part of George's rose. But they started um, obviously. Uh, uh, getting resistance from anti-vaxxers who immediately exist, right? Of course, as just as it always is. And I've just got <laughs> this uh, photo. In the early 20th century being like, yeah, putting 5G in our heads. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Here's, the, here's the interesting thing. It's quite it's quite um, different. This is a cartoon, um, an anti-vax cartoon. I'll oh, show yeah. you guys. So this is Georgie Rose here with his rose, right? So he's the Rose Bay George. This is um, Jenna, and this is another guy I can't remember. But basically, the, the anti-vaxxers were the other doctors who still preferred the other method, which was the, um, uh, you know, the valiation, which is the one, Alice, you mentioned, they brought back from Turkey. And they're basically saying, this is a satirical cartoon saying, curse on these vaccinators. We shall be starved of, you know, of work. If you vaccinate everyone, we won't have any work. You know, and so they're sort of not against vaccination. They're just against they're against vaccination because they want to do the old method, right? I have matter enough here to kill fifty. Yes, that was the thing about the initial um, vaccines, which was just scraping the active smallpox sore and putting it on, was that sometimes you would die much higher death rate than cowpox. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so then that's that's what these people are saying. I I I this person have fifty, and I could <coughs> potentially give it to hundreds, five hundred more. And so there's this this article, this cartoon. So George Rose and Jenner and that were charged with sort of uh, prosecuting the the case uh, for them. And there's this other great uh, uh, vaccine uh, anti-vax. I'll just show you this one anti-vax cartoon. And this is a cartoon. If you can see, people have cows coming out of their parts of their skin. Oh yeah. So this <laughs> was actually an anti-vax cartoon where people were like, if I have the small pot, the cowpox, I'm gonna have a cow coming out of my nose and out of my <laughs> arm. And so this was like, people were saying, why would you have, you know, it's much safer to just get smallpox, you know, which is, that's an anti-vax claim, right? Yeah, natural immunity. <laughs> natural immunity. Well, it's very fitting then that uh, that first vaccination center should be in Rose Bay because at the moment I think Rose Bay is leading in, um, number of you know proportion of population oh, really? fully fully vaxxed yeah no um, i always i always wonder when when anti-vaxxers you know in this 
in the slightly poorer suburbs think things are a conspiracy just i feel, I feel like maybe look at what the rich people are doing yeah, <laughs> like, yeah exactly yeah, totally. people in the yeah, know exactly a little a little sus if, if, if these people are running the world then maybe what are they doing maybe you should do what they're doing there, there is a little twist to the story and drew you hinted at sheep um because uh, there's all sorts of pox there's a fucking there is probably a sheep pox right but but anyway that the jenna did this for cow pox and and that was based on like uh the the knowledge uh, that uh, milkmaids didn't get smallpox that was the that was the theory milkmaids didn't get smallpox therefore cowpox da, 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 da. anyway they, they didn't have a lot of records from back then so they just used this vaccine and eventually they developed a way to make the vaccine in a lab instead of just getting it off the cows right so um but then that happens for 100 years but in the mid 90s they actually look at the vaccine that we've been using for ages the virus realizes not similar to cowpox at all it's it's actually really really similar to horsepox so <laughs> so the theory is that he tested it on cows and then he went and figured out or someone figured out that horsepox was actually better or didn't and so they but they didn't record any of that so they're just using this bit of horsepox for 100 years and they're basically saying that the, the evidence is that the cowpox the proper vaccine and so the word vaccine it should be equines right so instead of vaccine which is latin for cow it should be equines which is latin for horse based on on that so there you go so it's a complete quirk that that they still call it cowpox but um there you go so just uh and that was yeah the mid 90s and uh, mid hundreds and and then they just come out with a malaria vaccine the other day so big incredible. news in vaccine world there we go it's an incredible thing that malaria vaccine that's going to save millions and millions of lives yeah when totally. i was um when i was in cambridge i was there on the scholarship that was funded by prince charles but my housemate was there on the scholarship uh, that was the gates funded by the gateses and so we both took each other to their like scholarship morning teas we swapped mm. as our each other's plus ones oh. and i met melinda gates and i said you know at that time they, they obviously it was before the vaccine but they were working on that vaccine there and i i said to her it must be quite a nice feeling to know that you've probably saved a lot of lives and she said uh i know for a fact that i that we directly through our work have saved the lives of at least four million children Wow! Jeez. And I thought, like, you get a lot of leeway from me. Yeah. <laughs> if you, you know, if you've done that, yeah. you know, there's a, I uh, feel like. Yeah. I'll let fuck. I'll let the microchip program yeah. slide. Well, yeah, like she's, you can uh, she's say single what you now, like right? About them. Yeah, she's single. Put it on a Tinder. There you go. I say four million <laughs> kids. Uh, she's like, out there that's to got to feel good going to sleep at night to know that oh, about yourself. Totally. Same. So good. Yeah, should well, we balance it out by doing open mic comedy for a few months and just sit there, just being like, well, I bombed tonight with the Tinder stuff, but you know, four million kids, so I guess I'll sleep seven we'll and a half going, hours yeah. tonight. <laughs> I had one, get to the, the last two. I okay? have one last thing about uh, because we've talked so much in the past about uh, community notice boards. It's the name of the podcast and the community uh, groups that pop up online. And Rose Bay actually had a, a Facebook group war of sorts that ended up in the courts uh, because <laughs> this woman who created Rose Bay Community Official Group Page had to um, shut down her Facebook page and issue an apology as part of a defamation case because this bloke uh, was apparently defamed on a post by one of the members of this. And so he, you know, had had a tantrum, don't sue me. Uh, he, he, well, he got angry because he felt like this was this is false. Someone made a false claim about him. They said basically like he was a creep to women and made women feel unsafe. And he had no idea that uh, why someone would post that. And so he gets kicked from this community page and decides to start his own community page called Rose Bay Community. And then, uh, but then takes her to court and uh, he won. As well, he won thirty-five thousand dollars. Had to get oh the woman God. to take down a post, and had to destroy a whole Facebook group, community group page to issue an apology to him. So, Jeez. I mean, Jeez. defamation Did, laws in Australia. That'd be so funny if that guy was like, you know, I, I don't come on, I'm, I'm not a creep, I don't creep out women. I'm starting my own group, the Rose Bay Community and Barefoot Picks. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's yeah, defamation law in Australia is very strict indeed. And yeah, yeah and then we'll shut down just a place that usually, you know, half of these places are like, oh, I found two dinner trays on the side of the road. If anyone wants them, give me a message, you know. Or, Jeez. I think they're about to basically get shut down because there's some new rule where the person host, like the host of the group or the admin of the group can be held liable for the comments of anyone who puts it in there, which is going to like really ruin the amount of trawling through those I go for screenshotting <laughs> shit to put on Instagram. <laughs> there's some wild well, it, theories. It has to do with accountability as a publisher. And right. uh, I think they were aiming it at the... Um, oh, oh, well, I'm not going to get into legal chat. <laughs> They're aiming at the organizations trying to hold um, Facebook and Twitter and stuff accountable for right. things that are published on them because then they would be required to do more moderation. Um, uh, but I think they fell, fell a little short or maybe they're possibly trying to build it up from individual community organizers, right. trying mm. to place the obligation on, on individuals um, hmm. as publishers. That, that'll show that big tech taking down these small community <laughs> groups. Well, whatever stops, yeah, we'll see how it works out over the next yeah. 10 years. Whatever stops, you know, the odd, probably creepy man being called creepy, you know, like what, you know, the <laughs> odd, the odd, there's absolutely smoke with that, with that fire. You know, like he's definitely a creepy guy. I don't oh, care. Sure. <laughs> whatever. Allegedly. Anyway. But, um, <laughs> okay. So, Alice, we usually finish this podcast with two questions. The first is if someone comes up to you and says, hey, Alice, I am going to Rose Bay for 24 hours and I want recommendations for stuff to do morning, afternoon and night. What do you tell them? I would say, uh, I would say go to a cafe for breakfast, ideally one that overlooks the harbour and go paddle boarding. Mm. Preferably early in the day before the water gets choppy. Standing on the water, paddle boarding, you feel like a god of the ocean. <laughs> There's something incredibly beautiful about that. Or, you, you know, paddleboarding, kayaking, sailboating, whatever you're comfortable with. If you don't feel comfortable locomoting your own boat, catch a ferry. Um, just get onto the onto the harbour. That is, uh, if you can get out to Shark Island, once got nudged by a shark in a kayak. So if you're Ooh. really scared of sharks, maybe stick to the ferry. Um, yeah, for lunch, go to Charcoal Charlie's or one of those. Yeah. Pick up a pad thai, uh, walk it to Bankstown. <laughs> walk it to Bankstown. Go, uh, stop in at one of one of the nice little um, boutique shops. Um, Perfection Chocolate is owned by a Greek family in Rose Bay and has been for forever. And they make their own chocolate and sweets on site, and they are just delightful mm. human beings. So go and buy some overpriced but homemade chocolate mm. from them. <laughs> um, uh, stop in at, at the bookshop and then uh, for dinner please go into the weird Chinese restaurant in Rose Bay that never has anyone in it because I think it's a drug front oh, okay. <laughs> just tell me what the food like if you go in and ask for food they look at you like you've done something wrong <laughs> but there's always cover. something like I that to, yeah. yeah I used to live in Neutral Bay and there used to be this place I don't want to name it because it's still around but like we used to go there and it was this tiny bar but it's like right in the shadow of two of the bigger bars and we used to go there and just you know because the guy was really friendly and he had a little piano and we just let you play on it for fun eventually like one night the owner wasn't there and we're like man who keeps you know you get a bit cocky when you're regular at the bar i know andrew does because we have done it a bunch of times you go up to him and you're like hey we must be like your most popular customers we're kind of keeping this place afloat and the guy's like our customers aren't keeping this place afloat man (laughs) he's like said that like basically after hours it just becomes like a lock-in where people deal drugs damn he just came out i can't believe he told you that (laughs) (laughs) i think the guy was like i don't get paid enough for this yeah (sighs) and it could be anywhere but yeah, I didn't give enough. And finally, about Kirk. It. And the final question is, uh, Alice, when all is said and done, when you've achieved everything that you want to with your life and career, would you settle back down in Rose Bay? That is an interesting question. Um, so I'm currently in my dad's house, um, house sitting it, uh, and it is just down the road from where he grew up. All right. So it's up in Vaucluse, but yep. it's within. 15 minutes walk of the house that he grew up in on on Rose Bay so uh, I don't know I think 
I think it's changed a lot since I was a kid and you can't really go back in time mm. to the place that it used to be uh, with the people that used to be there. Uh, if I could, then I would. But otherwise, I think what I would look for is a suburb that had similar qualities, that has now similar qualities to what I grew up with, which is this real community feeling um, combination of sort of weirdos and outsiders and this kind of new up and coming vibe. Uh, I mean, I, I doubt I will ever be able to afford Waterfront property. But that was an incredible thing to grow up with. Um, the harbour has a fresh face every day and it's beautiful. You know, Sydney, that's one of the great things about Sydney mm. that you have within reach of the city, you have access to the wilderness in the form of the ocean. No one's taming the ocean anytime soon. And so you have this incredible open expanse to play in and, and explore. Um, so if I can get anywhere near the harbour in my old age, if I get rich enough, <laughs> uh, then I, I definitely would. Oh, great. Alice, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Is there anything you would like to plug before we leave you? I have a weekly podcast called The Gargle, which is a news satire without politics. It's like a glossy magazine, um, and it's a lot of fun. I have a weekly podcast called Tea with Alice, where I talk to interesting people about difficult ideas. And um, my stand-up special, is uh, Savage, is available on Amazon Prime, if that's something you're interested in. Great. Well, everyone, cool. go out and Check investigate out. those podcasts and specials. And with us, you can find us on all socials, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for full videos every week. And yeah, if you like and the to the guy who complained about me shaving my beard off, I'm tr it's coming back. It's slowly <laughs> coming back, buddy. I'm doing it for you. I knew you'd be convinced by that one comment. <laughs> and if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review there if you can. It would be great for us. And, uh, yeah, just keep listening and share it with your friends. Alice, thank you so much for coming on the Thanks, podcast. Thanks, Alice. That was great. Thank Thanks, you so everybody. Much for having me. No worries. Thanks, and we'll see guys. you next week, everybody. Catch you later. Bye.